we've had over, I would say, 750 million followers worth of shout outs for free. We haven't paid for any of these. And it's just organic and just being authentic. Hey, my name is Felix Tia, and I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn how they grew an Instagram account from zero to 10,000 followers in just a few months, why they teased their product to their audience before ever launching it, and what is an influencer seeding program and how it can make or break your product launch. Before we get into our show, I want to share a strategy some businesses are using to help manage cash flow during COVID-19. They are selling gift cards. Gift cards give customers a way to support you right now. We've seen some creative ways to market them, like selling gift cards at a discount, giving special offers for customers who've redeemed them in the future, and adding free gift cards to high-value cards as a bonus. As part of Shopify's response to COVID-19, gift cards are now available on all Shopify plans, so you can start selling them right away. Today, I'm joined by Nick Guillen from Truff. Truff is a truffle hot sauce with upscale but personable aura and was started in 2017 and based on Huntington Beach, California. Welcome, Nick. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Yeah, so before the product, before the hot sauce all started, it all started with more of a focus on content and social media, particularly with an Instagram account. So tell us more about the background, the origin story of how you guys got started with basically Instagram. Yeah, so about four or five years ago, um, now probably closer to five years ago, my partner and I, um, whose name is also Nick, we were really into you know social media and CPG um, and looking at all these various brands that we saw blowing up on you know Instagram and Facebook and things like that. And I kind of had a little side hobby of scooping up OG handles. So I happened to get the name Sauce. Um, organically, I didn't buy it. Um, and Nick, he was the first person I told, you know, throughout college, we were working on various projects and we we're always kind of giving each other feedback and sharing ideas. Um, and as soon as I got the handle, I was like, yo, Nick, I just got this handle on Instagram. It's sauce. Like this is the Times Square of New York mm-hmm. on IG. Let's do something with it. And he was like, for sure, let's do something with it. So we started posting content on the account, cool things, high quality imagery, things we thought would resonate with the pop culture foodie. And, you know, what's interesting about the word sauce is it has two different meanings. It's an actual food, but within streetwear and pop culture, it also means like cool, dope. So we tried to create content that aligned with both of those you know, words at the same time. Awesome. Super cool. So first of all, you, you said that you got the sauce handle organically and did not buy. You said it was just like five, six years ago. And that's like crazy. How did you come across this handle that you're saying that no one had at the time? Or like what was the, how did you come to like get that, getting that Instagram handle? Yeah. So like I mentioned, it was kind of a, a hobby of mine trying to scoop up like OG names. And I had a, a couple at that time. And I was just sitting down, you know, doing my thing. And I was actually eating um, lunch when I was living in Long Beach. And uh, I had like a burger and like a big glob of sauce dropped down into my lap. And while I was entering in the names, I was like, all right, like sauce. And 
it was red. And then all of a sudden it turned green to available and I hit save. I got it just like that. It's funny. Like these days, that's where the going after these handles is so important. It's almost like the way domains were for a while. I think domains are not nearly as important these days as like a handle on social media, especially something like Instagram, where you would start off first with getting a really good name, good domain name, and then figure out what you would do with it afterwards. And you guys took it even further. Not only did you figure out what to do in terms of creating content around it, but eventually after after that, building a business behind it. So did either of you have some kind of like entrepreneurial background at the time? Like what were you doing prior to, uh, you know, basically building up content on social media, on Instagram? Yeah, so Nick and I, you know, we're both, I guess, born entrepreneurs and had a bunch of little businesses throughout our life. And they kind of got more serious as time progressed. And at this time, um, the other Nick, he actually had a beverage company um, that he was launching in college. It was called Nick's Fix. And it was a, a powdered beverage that was designed to not only mask the taste of alcohol, but use as a chaser. Um, so he was you know, trying to create essentially his, his own category um, within the college scene. And he launched it, but he had learned a lot about you know product development and packaging and really what it takes to take a finished good to market. And I had a hat business that leveraged Shopify, e-com, um, and I was kind of really deep into the, the e-commerce game at the same time. And we, you know, just kind of always put our heads together on these various projects. And when, you know, we got this handle sauce and we started growing the account organically, that's what led us into, okay, this is cool, but you know, let's, let's take this a step further. Let's create a product. Let's create a brand where this social media channel would almost be looked at as the home base. And the first market that we looked at was, you know, the hot sauce market. And that's when we saw the opportunity. Awesome. So you mentioned that you first started posting high quality imagery. Where, where, what was the, the, where did you source the content? Like what was your plan early on to be able to populate your feed with the right content and on a consistent basis? So we we just looked at you know content from all over the web. We created some of our own. We just reposted content that we thought was really cool, um, and we just did a lot of digging. Kind of how like you know you see all these these meme creators these days. All they're doing is looking at content all day on the internet. It's kind of what we were doing, but specifically for like food and, and pop culture. How important is it for anyone else out there that's looking to build an account like this? How important is it to post original content versus resharing content that you guys, you know, are just, just like? I think it's it's really important to um, first of all just start. And sometimes, you know, when you're just trying to start and get, getting something going, you don't have the luxury of you know going around and taking a bunch of pictures, but you could create a lot of inspiration for what your brand uh, eventually would look like by posting content that you think is relevant to that message. So that's essentially what we were doing to start. Got it. Okay, so you had the the Sauce account. You guys are posting foodie-related pictures. But at, the, at what point did you start noticing that there was an opportunity in the hot sauce market and wanting to transition into actually having a product 
uh, you know, ba- product behind this social media account? So we were growth hacking the account pretty quickly, and I think we got it to about ten thousand followers um, after you know two or three months. And some celebrities started following us, like Sam Smith, the singer, started following us. Complex Magazine, and that's when we kind of looked at each other and was like, okay, are we going to be a food account on Instagram, or are we going to take this a step further? So that's when we looked at the hot sauce market, and we didn't see any luxury hot sauce brand on the market. We didn't see any direct-to-consumer hot sauce company, and there wasn't any hot sauce brand that was digitally native. Most of the people out there, the traditional hot sauce brands that you think of, they built their business in retail. So social media to them was kind of a secondary thing, whereas us, that was going to be our sole focus. Mm. And, uh, can you say more about this? Like, what does digitally native allow you to do that allowed you to compete against the more kind of, uh, I guess, companies that started or got, gave, got their birth from retail and like physical locations? So for us, being a digitally native brand has really helped us develop um, with our customers and our fans and our followers a lot closer than being you know, a traditional retail brand. Because essentially what happens when, when you're a retail first brand is, you know, you give your product to uh, someone who, you know, buys from you wholesale or you give it to a distributor and then they put it on the shelf and then that retailer sells it to the customer. They sell it to their customer. But being a digitally native brand and also being, you know, a direct-to-consumer brand, you kind of own that relationship with your customer from the beginning and you have a bigger impact on how that customer feels about their first buying experience, how you're following up with them, how you're adding value, um, you know, throughout the next and repeat purchases. Um, so it's a lot more warmer of a, a transaction and you get to really nurture your customers and eventually, you know, they become friends. Mm, okay, so you mentioned that you growth hacked this account pretty quickly. You said ten thousand followers within just a few months. What were you doing at the time to 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 do that other than you know obviously posting a lot of high quality images? Were you doing anything else to to accelerate the growth of the Instagram account? Yes, yeah, so we were posting about three to four times a day on the highest traffic days um, that we saw were really like popping for our account. And we'd also tag a bunch of really big accounts like Complex, Hypebeast, Foodie, um, and big blogs. And back in the, the good old days of, of IG, if one of those accounts were to comment or like on the photo that you posted, if they have a large following, it's called super like. So naturally that photo would go onto the activity feed and everyone that's following that account would see that complex magazine, for example, liked sauces photo. And then we would just get a ton of traffic. So every once in a while we would have, you know, a photo that would get two to 3000 likes. And it's like, you know, we only had 5,000 followers at the time. So it was just going viral within, you know, the Explorer feed. Um, we also did a lot of different hashtag strategies. We had some accounts with large followings posts, and tag us um, essentially like the early days of influencer marketing but not necessarily using influencers more of accounts that had 
influence, like big food accounts and things like that. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. So are there techniques that you're familiar with today for anyone else out there that's trying to go from zero to 10,000? Because it sounds like the techniques you use, it might be harder, or at least not as effective as it is as it was back when you first started. But anything, are, there's anything that you're familiar with to go from zero to 10,000? Yeah. So my advice would be on the early days of growing an account is consistency in posting. I would probably post two to three times a day. I would keep all the content very non-transactional, meaning you're never trying to sell anybody anything on, on your Instagram account. You're doing this to help stimulate eyeballs. You're trying to put out satisfying content that's engaging that people would want to share with their friends or you know tag their friends. And you also want to keep things interesting for people. You don't want to post the same thing over and over and over again. You want to have a lot of variation in the types of content that you put out. I would say maybe, you know, three to four different types of variation that remain on brand and they remain on look and feel of what you're going for, but a different variation. So I'll give you an example for truff, you know, we sell a hot sauce. Okay. We could post the bottle of our hot sauce over and over and over again but that would just get boring. So essentially what we do is we could post a beautiful product shot. We could post a beautiful picture of food that would pair well with our sauce. Or we could just do something crazy and post like a fountain filled with hot sauce and there's no trough bottle in it at all. But it all comes back to just creating something that's visually satisfying and appealing to whoever it is that's following you. Mm, okay, that makes sense. So not just posting like product shots, but actually posting content that hopefully your ideal customer is also interested in. Correct. Got it. Okay, so speaking of being closer to your customer, because you're a digitally native company com and brand, you, did you, you, I think you just mentioned that you built the product alongside with the customer from the beginning. Like how involved were they in developing the, the hot sauce? So our customers actually never knew what truck was, what it looked like, what kind of product it was until the day of launch. Essentially, what we did is we reverse engineered a product we thought would be perfect for social media. And we did that in a few different ways. One of them being we wanted to create an extremely eye-catching bottle um, with beautiful design, something that when somebody saw it, they would be like, whoa, what is that? And then we also wanted to communicate what the brand was very easily and digestible. So if you look at our bottle, you'll see that truff is vertically written in a beautiful font directly on the bottle. And then we have a geometric shaped sphere on the top, which is inspiration from the black truffle. Um, and then we also not only did what we think is you know a good job on designing packaging but we also developed the formula that we thought would live up to the standard of this luxury palette that you know we were trying to we were trying to translate uh, 
Digital. Got it. So it sounds like you, you guys invested heavily in either time or resources into the packaging itself. So talk to us more about this or anyone, anyone else out there that is interested or that wants to focus more on packaging. Maybe they also want to develop a, a product that is you know perfect for social media. What was your process in developing the packaging? Like Walk us through the, the design and any iterations that were involved. So along the way, um, Nick and I, when we were kind of developing the original ideas of what's not truck, we knew we wanted to create a luxury, you know, product and we really wanted to get advice and feedback from people that are in the luxury world. So Nick's dad at the time, um, my partner, he was CEO of a luxury shoe brand called Buscemi and one of the or the founder of Buscemi, his name is John Buscemi, who's one of our partners in Truff. Um, he was a huge foodie and like a luxury guy. And we were always around their office, kind of bouncing ideas off of each other. And we kind of get got him involved, um, as well as Nick's dad. And we were kind of, you know, telling him about what we were doing. And he shot some ideas back to us. Um, so we got a lot of, I guess, really good advice and feedback from somebody that's in the space. Um, and we were really patient. It took us about two years of R and D, um, developing the brand, the packaging, the custom bottle and cap and the formula took us about two years before we actually took the product to market. So we were very patient. Mm, So I think you talked about this too, where you mentioned that, uh, practicing patience and having this long-term focus is has been has been instrumental to to your success and you what you guys call the grind. So tell us more about this. Like, what what would you consider like the grind of entrepreneurship? So I think what separates you know someone who's really serious about entrepreneurship and someone who isn't is go, really just going all in on it. So during this time of R and D, um, I had already been working full time. I was a technical recruiter. So I was like a a recruiter for software engineers and developers and things like that. And I was still finishing up school and Nick was graduating at the same time and he went to go work in a restaurant. So he knew that, you know, the dream for him was to start his own business, but I was kind of already in the corporate world, like, you know, grinding over there, but really wanted to do the entrepreneur thing. And once this venture really started to paint a great picture, I quit and I moved back home with my parents at 26 and I was an Uber driver. And that's when I had started the hat company, like I'd mentioned at the same time while doing this truff venture, um, current that was currently in the very early stages. And I think really making that, that leap and, you know, kind of just putting my ego aside and, quitting my corporate job that was comfortable and moving on with my parents was the best thing that ever happened to me. And what did that allow you to do by, by quitting the job and moving, moving in with your parents? Like what, what, what kind of advantages did that gain you as an entrepreneur? So typically when I was working in the corporate world, I was working 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. from Monday through Friday. And I'm not good with math, so however many hours a week of work that is. And by moving home with my parents, I was an Uber driver and I Ubered on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights. So 
Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, my entire day was focused on building this business with my partner, Nick, who was all in as well. God. Okay. Makes sense. So for someone out there that, that, you know, doesn't have a business yet, how do you recommend that they spend their time now that you've gone through this process and you recognize maybe some of the, the, the ways that you use your time most productively? How, do, how should someone else out there spend their time when they're in the early days where they don't have a business yet, but they want to start one? So one of the, one of the things that Nick and I always say is, you know, there's some businesses that should have never been started from the beginning. But with that being said, a lot of those businesses that are started from the beginning give us a lot of experience along the way. So for someone who's trying to start a business for the very first time, whether it be someone that wants to sell products online or someone that's opening up you know, a lemonade stand on the corner, the first important thing is to just get started. Just try whatever it is you're trying to do. Google how to whatever. And nine out of 10 times, you're going to get an answer from the internet, someone on the web, or, or other way is to reach out to somebody that is in a position or doing something that you like or admire and try and learn from them. You know, whether it's you going to work for them for free for, you know, six months and three months and really just immersing yourself in whatever it is that you want to do. Mm. So I, I think I think I agree with you. I think the knowledge and information is there, and I think where most people, I think most people will give up before they ever f- truly fail because of you know external reasons. I think most people give up first, but you guys have been able to remain patient on and on that path, even though it took two years, even though you might not have seen any kind of tangible results from the effort you're putting in, from the patience you're putting in. How do you stay patient when you aren't seeing results yet? It's just it's it's just a matter of really believing in what you're doing and having a lot of discipline and you know really callousing the mind and there's multiple ways you could callous the mind it's you know forcing yourself to read books from the greats it's making sure you're working out at least an hour a day it's waking up at 4:30 a.m. even if you don't want to it's realizing that, okay, I really have to work hard for these next two years. I'm going to stop partying on the weekends. I'm going to start, I'm going to stop going out with my friends. I'm going to stop going on dates and really putting everything that you have into whatever it is that you want to achieve. Hey, real quick, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear more of. Now let's get back to the interview. Got it. So I want to jump back to the packaging uh, a little bit. So because of your experience with the packaging, when you see other entrepreneurs out there that maybe also have you know uh, uh, small businesses and small business brands, what are some some mistakes that you might see entrepreneurs making with their packaging that you recommend people focus on trying to improve? So we we had I guess the luxury of I guess being able to come to market with a product that is a lot different from what's already out there. And in saying that, I see a lot of products, you know, whether it be hot sauce or cosmetics or um, beverages, and everything that you see on the shelf looks exactly the same. The only thing that's different is the color of the packaging, the text, the 
maybe some of the foils um, that they're using, but everything is pretty much the same. Um, so our idea was like, okay, let's let's create something custom. When you put it up next to ten or so bottles that all look the same on the shelf, ours is going to be the one that stands out the most, simply because we took the extra step and we invested the extra money at the beginning to make that happen. Got it. Now, when you were formulating the sauce, how was that done? How did you guys? How does how does someone even begin to create a uh, like a hot sauce? So my partner Nick. Um, as I mentioned before, he had a powdered beverage company in college, and he had learned a lot about developing a product, working with you know different suppliers, sourcing different goods and ingredients. So we were kind of able to tap into a few people in his network that pointed us into the right direction. But essentially what we did was come up with the idea of what we wanted. So it was a a truffle hot sauce is what we're going for, right? So we Googled all of the best suppliers across the country and internationally that we thought would be a good fit for our product. So we would source a bunch of different chili samples. We would source a bunch of different truffle oils. We would source a bunch of different, you know, cumin and spices and different things we thought our product would be. And we got in his kitchen and Nick and I literally put a bunch of little bowls together and we probably had 300 to 400 different renditions of our formula before we found one that we thought tasted good. And then from then, and then from there, we took it to um, a more, you know, esteemed culinary professional that gave us a little bit of feedback and they were like, you know, maybe add some more truffle or maybe, you know, take the spice down a little bit. Um, and that's really just how we, how we got going. How long did it take from that, like from the, the very first, uh, I guess, uh, raw ingredients that you ordered to like the final product that you were ready and, and happy with to go to market? I would say about 18 to 24 months, somewhere in between there. Wow. So what would you say were some of the biggest kind of leaps that you that you felt like you guys were able to take uh, to to start reaching the the finalized product? Were there certain kind of milestones that you hit where you realized that okay, we're making like significant progress here on a finalized formula? I think it was like really trying to find a product that or finding ingredients that we could scale because it's not like we could just go to the grocery store and buy a bunch of branded sauces off the counter and mix them up and say, okay, this tastes good, but you can't quote unquote commercialize that. You can't, you know, make large runs of that and put it in a bottle. So it was finding a supply chain from the beginning that could scale with us. Um, and then once we did that, finding, you know, the right people to help us manufacture it. Mm. So looking back, what do you think you guys did right and what mistakes did you feel like you made while going through this process of, of creating the hot sauce? So one of the biggest mistakes in the beginning was I was sold on the idea of doing just a woozy bottle, which is a nor like if you Google woozy bottle, that's primarily what a lot of the hot sauce brands are using. And I thought we could 
create a, a product that was, you know, just as sexy by having a standard off the shelf bottle, um, with a nicer label, but really looking back and seeing how impactful it would have been or how impactful it is by taking that extra step early on was very helpful. Um, and then also the very first batch of product we actually threw away, uh, the color was off, the viscosity was very liquidy. And that's when we realized it's like, okay, when you, when you make something in the kitchen, when you scale it up, things change. And that's kind of, I think what really opened up our eyes and saying, okay, this isn't just, this isn't just two guys in the kitchen making a sauce, putting in a bottle. This is actually food science. It's like, let's get with the right people to help us fix this. Mm -hmm. Did you have to do any, or were you able to do any testing of either the sauce or the packaging during these two years before launching it publicly? Um, testing in terms of just like testing with, you know, potential customers or like your, your audience just to see if you're like on the mark. Well, when we made the batch, um, we made the, the various batches we had sent it out to family and friends to get their, their feedback. And most of the feedback was pretty positive. And, you know, I don't know if that was a good thing or bad thing. Typically like your friend, they want to tell you that it's good, but we tried to really send it to people that were like going to give us honest, constructive, um, feedback. And most of it was, was positive. And at what point did you know that it was ready? Because it sounded like you said it took about 18, 24 months. So at that 24-month mark, what did you see that made you realize, okay, this is good to go to market? I think it was after we worked with a couple chefs to review the product that we'd made. And once they made those final tweaks, we had created a few test batches ourselves and then sent that out to everyone and we got really, really good feedback. And now that's where we're like, okay, let's, let's bottle this now. How do we do that? Mm -hmm. how, did, how did that happen? How did you connect with the, the chefs? So as I mentioned, Nick, um, he had a powdered beverage company and he had built a, a good network of people in the food industry. And they were just a couple of people that were recommended to us. Got it. Now, when you are, when you do have like a chef that you're working with, what's that, what's that interaction? Like, what are you looking to them for? What do they need from you when you are working with a chef for like a food or a beverage product? We basically just told them, you know, our idea, what we were trying to accomplish, where we were at with our formula and wanted to get their feedback. And I think feedback was, you know, add, add a little bit more truffle. And I think that's what we did. Nice. That's simple enough. Now, when you had that product ready to go, talk to us about the launch when on the, on your, your IG, on, on Instagram, like what was that like? How did you launch your product to your, your audience on, on social media? So a year up until the launch, we were working on the brand. We were working on, you know, the look and feel, building our website on Shopify, working with our designers really trying to create this, you know, very sexy, minimal look um, from a website perspective. And once we had gotten, you know, all of that out of the way and we finished our, our product formulation and we got it bottled, we had the idea of essentially launching with a big push on Instagram. And when I mentioned earlier that John Buscemi was one of our partners. Um, 
there's also another partner named Aaron Levent who was the founder of Complex Con, Agenda Trade Show. He now started this really cool um, app called Network. It's basically like the millennial QVC with streetwear drops and exclusive collaborations with awesome brands. Well, they were very well connected in the industry um, just throughout the years, you know, very respected in their fields. So we were able to get a very large seating list from them out the gate. And we had about, I, I would say, 500 or so of, you know, some of the most influential people in whether it be food or fashion or streetwear. Um, and we'd started seating all of these people a week before we actually launched. So we did, I believe, three different posts up until our launch. One was just like a teaser post with our logo and a date. And that's all we said. And then the next one was another teaser post that showed our cap and the bottom of our bottle, but our label was blocked off and it had the date in the middle. And then our actual launch photo was just this very beautiful, high quality product shot that showed the ingredients and the truffle and the chili pepper and the agave. Um, and then at the same time, we had timed the launch of the actual product with the seating of everyone. So on this day, everyone started posting. So we had started reposting and we just kind of made this big ripple on social media. Mm. So, so lots of people, when they launch on social media, launch their product, they're just, they're just going to put it out there, like put it all out there without teasing it. What did this kind of teasing of your product do for the launch? It starts to build hype and you don't want to build hype too far outside of your launch because people start to lose interest. It needs to be timed correctly and you also need to do the necessary things to get that hype going. And for us, it was getting our product in the hands of influential people before we even launched. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about that in a second. Before we get there, it sounded like one of the, the one of the really good things you guys are good at is being able to tap into your network, like find the people that can help you and tap into them. Now, when you, when, when anyone else out there that might not have as extensive a network, they probably still know someone that can accelerate their their you know path towards success. But if it feels so kind of almost like one-sided where the people in your network are so successful, so, you know, so busy, has so, they have so much influence and you feel like you don't have as much to offer, you know, in return in this kind of relationship, how do you approach Like, How have you guys been able to basically approach all of these uh, seemingly, you know, people that are, are, are big players and big influencers in your space and then get them to work with you when you're just starting out? So... I think it's hard to go from zero to a hundred. Like for example, if, if somebody right now who hasn't ever been networking, hasn't ever created a product or a brand tries to do this, it's probably not going to work. But what we did do was, you know, 10, 15 years ago, Nick and I were just natural born, I guess, entrepreneurs slash networkers getting to meet new people, trying to find like-minded individuals that, believed in the things we believed in and wanted to talk about the things we wanted to talk about. And that was, you know, business and making money and hustling and innovation. 
so I think it, it, it takes a while before those right people come into your life. And it's really hard to force something like that. But I think if you start early on enough, those people are definitely going to start popping up if you put yourself in the right position. Mm. And what's your like, favorite way to to nurture or continue building on these relationships? Like, are you calling them all the time, texting them, just you know, interacting with them on social media? Like, what are what are what's your favorite way to stay in touch and you know, nurture these relationships that you might not need today, but eventually it might come in handy? So it's just it's being authentic. It's being non transactional. Always trying to add value. So, like I mentioned, when we launched, we had about I would say 500 or so people that had somewhat of influence. To date, we've probably shipped close to 5,000 to 7,500 packages to people that weren't in this network. Even the partners that were part of this, this was all just organic outreach through Instagram, hustling in the DMs. Hey, would your friend want to try this? You know, so it's just, it's being creative, it's hustling, it's living in the DMs. I mean, messaging so many people until you get the little message that reads, I'm sorry, you reached your maximum messages for the day. It's really just, it's grinding. Mm, so you can pretty much build, you're saying you can pretty much build a business off of just like DMing and sending the right messages to the right people. 100%. That's awesome. So you mentioned too that you were able to launch it successfully through the a, a influencer seeding program. So this is the first time I've heard of it phrased this way, but I think I kind of get the gist of it. Can you kind of explain a little bit more about what you did to to seed a, a launch essentially? Yeah. So, I mean, our product, it's, it's a hot sauce. And essentially what, what we had thought in our heads was, okay, we're going to be sending this to people. We want them to try it right away. So first of all, we created a custom gift box that you can't even buy online, but we put the products in this very nice gift box. It was like a, a vertical set top box, almost like a high end cologne or something that um, you would find at, you know, Barney's or Neiman Marcus. And we packaged it up beautifully. And inside the package, we had a handwritten note from whoever it was that was sending it to that person, whether it was, you know, John, Aaron, or um, Nick or myself. And we included a little tray to pour the sauce into. And we also included a little bag of plantain chips. And in the note, we said, you know, we told them about the product um, and that we were just excited for them to try it. And we mentioned our IG handle was sauce. Now, we didn't ask them to post. That's like very important. You never want to ask somebody for anything. But we would say something like, you know, check us out on IG at Sauce. And they'd get the product. They'd, uh, they'd open it up. They'd pour it in the little dipping tray. They'd get the chip out and taste it. And that first moment was so important to us because we really needed a product that actually tasted good. And what would happen was when somebody really liked it, the first thing they would do was take a picture and post to social media and tag sauce. And that just scaled to this day. We're still doing it. You know, we've, we've had over, I would say 750 million followers worth of shout outs for free. We haven't paid for any of these and it's just organic and just being authentic. 
That's amazing. And one other way that one other huge influencer I've seen you guys or seen about you guys is making onto Oprah's favorite things list. How did that happen? So year one, um, which I mean, like like I mentioned, we kind of came out of the gate hot. We started doing a lot of media buying on Facebook, Instagram, and Google. And one day we received an email from Oprah's team um, telling us about, you know, Oprah's favorite things and they were interested in our product. And we knew like, we knew obviously who Oprah was, like she's the queen, but we didn't realize how big of a, a thing Oprah's favorite things is during Q4. And we had sent them some product to review and we just kept this, you know, dialogue of, of conversation going over the next couple months. And then they told us that, you know, we were selected to be on Oprah's favorite things. And it was all very organic. Um, just doing, doing the right things on social media, the right people are going to see. Yeah. How, how much of an effect does being on this list, it sounds like a huge effect. So like, how, can you quantify like what is the impact of making onto a list like this? I would say from, well, for us, you know, being a brand that's first year in business, that's probably the biggest thing that could ever happen for a startup company, especially one that's, you know, consumer packaged good and a product that's very giftable. Uh, it was kind of the perfect storm for us. There's a lot of brands that do get on the list that aren't able to maximize this opportunity. Um, you know, they don't have their, their store set up. They're not on Shopify. They aren't using the right tools. They don't have the right email flows set up, but we were really able to, I guess, maximize the opportunity, um, in being on such, you know, a fortunate experience like Oprah's favorite things. Mm, makes sense. So I want to talk a little about running the business. How do you spend your days these days? Um, so the roles they're kind of they're split up between Nick and I, who are, who are the co-CEOs, but there's you know a little bit of overlap. I personally, um, I think, spend a little bit more time on the e-com side of things, um, as well as the social media side of things, and he's involved in a lot of the day-to-day -day, you know marketing conversations we're having, um, vetting a lot of opportunities, providing a lot of great creative input um, as well as doing some of the operational stuff. Makes sense. What about some applications or services that you guys rely on to run the business? So we're currently on Shopify plus and that's more of like an enterprise, um, an enterprise level on the platform. But when we started, I think we were just on the basic plan and we had, a pop-up, um, you know, to, to capture email addresses and we had Clavio set up. So we just bare bones, you know, grassroots e-com. Those are the three things that we really started with. And then now things have become a lot more complex and a lot more intricate. Um, but we really just, you know, started very simple out the gate. Awesome. What, what about like the tools that you, you, you have added, you know, since the early days that, that you, you know, are, you know, big fans of, or you recommend other people check out? We love Clavio. Um, we do a lot of email work 
a lot of it is value added. You know, we send recipes out to our customers every Friday. We have different flows set up on Clavio. Um, so we have like a welcome flow after we capture their email address. We have abandoned carts. Um, you know, when someone adds something to their cart and they don't end up checking out, we'll send an email out to them, reminding them. Um, then we also have, you know, various post-purchase email flows that are value added, but are nurturing our relationship with the customer, um, as well as various splits. So like rewarding customers for repeat purchases, someone who hasn't placed an order in a while, you reach out to them and just a very, you know, a warm, but effective and efficient email platform. Um, we use back in stock, which is a tool that helps us capture email addresses for items that may become out of stock. So people can input their email address and be notified when that product is back. We use um, Gorgeous, which is a really helpful help desk slash customer service tool that integrates directly to Shopify. Um, we're using Yapo for UGC and product reviews. And I would say those are those are the big ones um, that have been very helpful. Oh, and also a rewards program uh, called Swell. Awesome. Now, when it comes to design of the site, was it all, did it always look like this from the beginning or have you guys gone through revisions and redesigns? We had probably done maybe three or four revisions from the time that we started. And a lot of it had to do with just being smarter as an e-commerce brand, doing things that were more efficient for our customer, for their checkout process, the overall user experience, and just trying to create you know, a seamless start to finish from the time they get to our site, from the time their order is placed. Can you say more about that? Like, what are some of the changes that you felt like had the biggest impact on, on the, the sales? It's trying to create a website that communicates effectively the key points of your product, not being overbearing with crazy blocks of text, huge paragraphs, um, and also not trying to be like very salesy, like, you know, having the pop-up that has the little wheel spinning saying, you know, choose your, your offer and your discount. Mm -hmm. It's just, just being, you know, very, very clean and transparent. Um, we also added a select your option feature. So on all of our product page, it gives you know, our customers the option to just select like one bottle, two bottle, three bottle, six bottles. We found that, you know, a lot of people, they like having options versus just typing in the quantity that they want. It's very easy for them to just, um, you know, click on the number of bottles that they want. Also, we were designing for mobile first in mind, knowing that a lot of our traffic was coming from social media. Most people were going to be on a mobile device. So really creating an effective and efficient mobile user experience was very important to us. Mm-hmm. 
Now, your I guess the main product, the Truff Hot Sauce, has uh, over forty five hundred four and a half star reviews. What has been the most uh, I guess, impactful way that you've been able to get customers to leave reviews for your product? So I think it's having an effective tool um, that does that for you. A lot of automation. We're not, you know, manually sending out emails to all of our customers. And having them leave a review, we put systems in place that are triggered by, you know, various events. So, for example, like our software, every time a new customer places an order, they'll receive an email. I believe it's 14 days after their purchase. Um, Gives them time to, you know, use the product, um, try it a couple times. And give us their honest feedback. Yeah, have you tried using incentives to get them to leave a review? Yeah, so we actually have um, incentives built into our rewards program. So customers can get you know X amount of points by leaving us an honest review. Um, it doesn't matter whether it's you know one star, two star, mm-hmm. three star, four star, five star. Got it. And I think you mentioned this earlier about how you have the different options for quantity. And it's interesting. You have one, two, three, six, twelve, and a gallon. How did you guys come up with this configuration? Like, were you seeing people order these configurations or quantities before you kind of not hard coded, but like presented it as options? Yeah. So we just kind of looked at the data, and you know, we saw that on average, people were ordering more than one bottle. So we had a default selection set to two bottles on our original product. We also gave them an option for, you know, three bottles, six bottles, 12 bottles, and a gallon. Um, Some people, when they're ordering on the fly, like maybe they're headed to a dinner party and they wanted to grab three or maybe they're shopping and they wanted to buy gifts for people and they would six. So just a very like seamless, communicated, effectively type of experience. Awesome. So truffhotsauce.com is the website. At sauce is the Instagram handle. So I'll leave you this last question. What would you need to what would you say would need to happen this year for you to consider this year a success? I would say continuing to evolve as a brand um, and continuing to put out content and experiences that resonate well with our customers. Awesome. Again, thank you so much for your time, Nick. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify.